Court series. Uh, this has uh, been a series, as the video said, based upon uh, topics of uh, the top topics that you wanted to hear about uh, as a church. And so today we're going to address uh, the question, how do I overcome fear? Uh, we live in a world where fear drives us, don't we? I mean, if you flip on the news for like two seconds, uh, we're getting nuked by North Korea. Uh, we're, and I'm not making light of any of this, but like these are the topics. And uh, we hear all kinds of sexual harassment stuff in the news these days. We hear about our economy and all this stuff. And you, you, you just almost can't even bear to watch it because anxiety and fear starts rising up. And you're like, this place is crazy. This is a dangerous place. And so we live in fear. The, the challenge with fear is, is it's a motivator. Uh, however, rarely is it the motivator of, the, of very good things. It usually motivates us towards something, towards a response or a reaction that's not healthy. Uh, politically, uh, if, there's some, if we're afraid of something in politics, we usually respond out of fear onto Facebook right? Because that's where the world's problems are solved, right there. Fear is really the worst form of motivation, and it's what the enemy of our souls is determined to keep at the forefront of our lives. I want to read to you Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, where we're reminded by God, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And we kind of know this in our head. If you've been walking with the Lord for very long, you, you kind of have this idea that that's true, that, uh, that I am supposed to be strong and courageous, that, that really I, I don't have to be afraid of anything because the Lord your God is wherever you go, and we kind of know that, but in reality we live much of our life with the, in, in kind of this opposite form. We live with fear, and we live kind of weak in some ways that we aren't confident that he will be with us wherever we go. There's all kinds of uh, things that cause fear. We're afraid of uh, death. Uh, we're afraid that, that maybe we're going to get in a situation where uh, we're going to die. We're going to get a sickness, an illness that's going to kill us. Uh, we're afraid of death. We're afraid of, uh, of injury. We're afraid of not do. We don't want to do anything that might uh, injure us or cause us harm, like turkey bowl, things like that. Uh, we're like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to get hurt. And you probably will. Uh, but, but I will too, and so we'll just all get hurt together. So uh, we're afraid of isolation. We're also afraid of immobilization, which happens from the turkey bowl as well. Uh, but uh, immobilization, like we're going to get old and not be able to do the things that we used to do. Uh, we're afraid of, of isolation, of not being in community with other people, that we're going to find ourselves uh, not only immobile but alone. And, and there's some people who like, man, I wish that I could be alone. You're more of an introvert. But then there's others who just genuinely have this fear of, of being alone. Uh, fear of humiliation. How many of you have ever been humiliated in your life? I, I was humiliated once. And every Thursday uh, Thanksgiving morning uh, for Turkey Bowl, I'm humiliated. 
all the time. No, I, I actually, growing up all through high school, I was very insecure, very afraid of being humiliated. I would never uh, risk anything. I used to do uh, speeches, like competitive speeches, which I didn't know was a thing, uh, but they were like competitive monologues. And, uh, and, and I, would, I would work so hard at memorizing these monologues and, and getting all of the hand motions right just so that I wouldn't be humiliated because in the third grade, I got up to give one of these uh, competitive monologues. And, uh, and it was all about this uh, Japanese tourist. And I was pretending as though I was. It was very racist, I'm sure. Uh, but this is the, the this is what they gave me. They gave me this speech, and uh, and I got up there and I froze up and I forgot my lines, and I was humiliated. And I pretended as though I was actually sick, ill. I probably was ill from the humiliation, uh, but I actually pretended. I, I lied. I, I pretended like I was I was sick. And so the judges gave me another try to do it. I didn't win anything for it, probably because they knew I wasn't sick. But I was humiliated in that moment. I had this horrible experience in my life, and it drove me for the rest of my life. It followed me all through high school where I was just motivated out of this fear of being humiliated. We have all kinds of things that invoke fear in our life, and fear wants to consume our lives. I'll tell you a story about a guy named Gideon in Scripture from Judges chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen, but... The angel of the Lord uh, came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. That's not Oprah. It looks kind of like it, but it's Ophrah. And we don't really know if, if this is, when it says the angel of the Lord, is this God himself in a supernatural uh, uh, showing up, or is it an angel by which he is speaking through? But the language implies that this is God speaking to Gideon in this case. So he sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, I don't think I said that correctly, uh, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So Gideon deals with fear in a way that we can all relate to. And we see this time and time again throughout the Old Testament with the Israelites that, that they press into their relationship with God. They're, they're drawing close to him and something happens. There's some sort of turmoil, some sort of, of angst in their life and all of a sudden they run and hide. They flee. They make a golden calf. They, things aren't turning out the way they thought and so they just do what they know to do and they just run away and they hide. In the case of Gideon, they're being attacked. And he's literally in this pit. He's in a wine press, and it says that he's threshing wheat in a wine press, which is not where you thresh wheat. If you're familiar at all with threshing wheat, we, most of us are, right? Uh, you guys all thresh wheat on an ongoing basis. You know, in biblical times, what they would do is they would actually they would, they would thresh wheat in a field or on a hill, wherever there was a breeze, wherever there was wind, so that the, well, you, you've maybe heard the, the phrase, the chaff blowing away, that, that there would be this, the, all of the stuff when you're threshing the wheat, all of the things, all, all of the part of the wheat that you don't want would then just whoosh, blow away. 
But here's Gideon, he's, he's in a hole in a wine press, which isn't where you're supposed to be threshing wheat because there's no breeze, no wind uh, to take the chaff away, but he's doing it because he's afraid. He's afraid. He's, he's consumed with fear. And it's in this, this pit of despair that the angel of the Lord shows up. And in verse 12, it says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? How many of you have ever made that statement? God, if you're with me, why am I going through this? Why am I dealing with this sickness? Why am I dealing with this relational dynamic? Why am I just dealing with this life? It seems like everything is against me. I thought you were for me. And Gideon goes on and says, Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Right? Isn't it? Can't we just identify with Gideon a little bit here? Because we're like, man, where are all, where's my miracle? Where's all the things that everybody else seems to be experiencing? Our fathers experienced the, the miraculous work of God. Where are those things now? He's abandoned us. And the truth is, is that anger is the reflex of fear. That, that when we get afraid, our tendency is to respond out of anger. Where are you, God? Or we get angry at people or circumstance or our jobs or situations, our kids, whatever, our spouse, and we just we get angry because we're afraid. If we were to look back beyond our anger, if you were to dig out underneath it, and you know people who are angry, maybe you're married to an angry person, maybe. Maybe your parents, your dad, your mom, maybe they were angry people. If you dig down underneath that anger, what you discover is that underneath there, most of the time is fear. And if you're like me, it, it, it changes things a little bit. It, it changes our perspective because what we find is that when someone is angry at us, we're, we're less likely to respond in offense, we're more likely to respond with an understanding that underneath that anger is a fearful, hurting person. When we know that anger is a reflex of fear, now all of a sudden we have a little bit more grace because there's something that's going on in that person's life where they're afraid. The world says that we need to manage our anger go through anger management courses. But what we really need to address is, what is it that we're afraid of? The story goes on in verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And this is what I love about Gideon. He's so relatable for, for all of us. He says, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. You're telling me that 
I'm going to save Israel out of Midian's hand, that me, Gideon, I'm gonna make that happen? Yeah, clearly you must have mistaken me for somebody else because my family's awful. They're kind of weak. And I'm the worst of them. I'm the weakest of the weak. There's no possible way that it could be me. See, the comparison here in, in this story is that we get angry and, and we, we go to church and, and we say, I, I'm, I'm afraid, I don't know what's going on in my life. And, and the pastor or a friend who's, who's a follower of Jesus, somebody comes alongside you and just kind of gives you these responses that are true, but, but things like we're more than conquerors in Christ and that's scriptural and we know that and, and we know that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength and, and we hear these things at church, but yet we sit there and we say, but not, not for me. Not for me, because I, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been a part of. You don't, you don't know my family. They are, they are the weakest. And I'm the weakest of my family. I can't do anything great for God. I know you tell me, Pastor Ryan, that, uh, that I could, that to be strong and courageous. I know that you tell me that, uh, that I have a purpose and a plan, that God says that, but, but I don't think you really know me. Because if you knew me, if you knew my family tree, if you knew my past, you would know that I am, I am just a weak person. What we find here is that he moves then from this sense of anger to a place of insecurity. Sure, God, I'm going to save Israel. Look at me. You know that 60% of women... 60% of your daughters, your wives, your moms deal with a phrase that says, I'm not blank enough. And I don't know what your blank is or what the blank of your spouse is or whatever that is, but, but 60%, all the statistics say that 60% of women deal with that phrase, I'm not this enough. For men, it's, do I have what it takes? That's what we deal with. Do I have what it takes to be successful in this world, in this economy? Do I have what it takes to be uh, a good husband, to be a good father? These are the things that, as men, we struggle with. This, this concept of, do I have what it takes? And it's birthed out of fear. It's, it's this insecurity that is a byproduct of fear. I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. I'm not going to be a good husband. I'm not going to be a good father. I don't, and then all of this fear just starts welling up. And we become insecure. The story goes on in verse 16. The Lord answered to Gideon, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. And Gideon replied, if... If now I have your favor, if I now have favor in your eyes, implying that he didn't used to have favor, if now I have favor, found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talk, that it's really you talking to me. In other words, give me a sign beyond this supernatural voice that's talking to me. Right? I mean, I, I hope that. If God comes, whether it's 
he's speaking through an angel, an angelic form, or if God comes himself and puts the handwriting on the wall or whatever, like, that's the sign I need. That's good, right? I mean, I, it's like, hey, yeah, this, is, this is the Lord speaking clearly. But what I love about Gideon is even in the midst of this situation, he's like, yeah, I'm not convinced. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. So he says, he says to the angel, please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. Just stay right here. Oh, hang out for a little bit. I'm going to go. I'll be back. I'll bring an offering. And if you're here when I get back, then I know it's you. And the Lord says, I will wait until your return. God is so patient with us, isn't he? He's so patient to be willing to say, yeah, fine. I guess I'll get on Facebook. I don't think God gets on Facebook. But I'll just hang out here and wait for you, Gideon, because the God of the universe has nothing better to do than to wait on you. But there's truth in that that the God of the universe cares about you and loves you, that he would wait for you. Fear brings control, so it brings anger, and then it breeds this insecurity, but then what we see in Gideon's life is this need for control. I, I don't trust that this is God. i got to control the situation. I've got to figure out is God talking to me? Is he not? And so I'm going to put in my standards or my set of, of criteria, my rules. And if, if you fall into my rules, then I'll trust you, God. See, what oftentimes, the, the reason why we need control in our life is because uh, maybe we've been hurt by somebody in the past, and so we immediately put up these walls, and we never put ourselves in a situation by which we will be hurt again. It's, it's why we struggle being in vulnerable conversations. It's why it's even maybe difficult for us to worship in such a way where everyone can hear us. Because there's this insecurity, there's this fear of humiliation, there's all of these things that are bred from fear. Gideon is struggling with trusting God and it produces this need for control. So anger, insecurity, control, all of those things are here to wreak havoc in our lives. The enemy uses this fear to suppress us when God wants to bring us to this great, amazing place of faith in order to bless us. That if, he could, if, 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 we could, if we could suppress the fear, if we could get rid of the fear and be delivered from that, that in the midst of our faith and our trust, God would move and work in the midst of that. Because God has great plans for us. God is speaking statements Bold promises of faith over your life through his word. Our fear is really birthed out of this wrong view of God. That's really what it comes down to is we just have kind of this distorted view of who God is. In Jeremiah 32, 17, it says, All sovereign Lord, 
You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Well, it's hard for us to really believe that. Because we have this view of God that that is so distant and so far that he can't possibly be stretching his arm out to us. That his outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for him. We even, there used to be a, a, a kids church song that we used to sing, nothing is too difficult for me or for him. But even though we know it in our heads, it's hard for us to really live that in our life. At the end of the day, we don't have a fear problem. We have a faith problem. Our lack of faith in who God is and the promises that God gives us, a lack of faith that the promises that God gives us through his word are true. And when we struggle in that, when we when we lack the faith for that, for his promises, it opens up the door for fear. I want to be careful when I say that because there's this theology that's out there, this faith theology of this name it and claim it and all of this, that if you just had enough faith, you would be healed. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a lack of faith in the promises of God the truth of God's word. So what do we do? Well, number one, we stand our ground. We find another uh, example of this in uh, Exodus chapter 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, stand your ground, and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The fear you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's a promise of the Father. And it's the answer to spiritual warfare that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It's also the answer to how do I overcome the stress in my life that we talked about last week. That really stress is a byproduct of fear. Uh, if, you, if you think about it in the context that if I'm afraid that I can't provide for my family or that I'm not going to be a good, a good enough husband or a good enough Christian or a good enough anything, what's going to happen is that fear drives us to do more and more and more and work harder and be better and all of these things. And now all of a sudden we're stressed out because of that, all because we have this fear in our life. So the answer is clearly in that scripture. The solution to all of those things, it's all the same. The Lord will handle this. We just need you to be still. You need only to be still. Last week we took a moment and we just were still. It's the quietest moment of my week. Just still. But wait a minute, we can't just be still. We gotta do something. We gotta, I gotta control it. I gotta figure it out. It's your insecurity talking and your anger's about to come. All because we just need to be still. 
Be still, Scripture says, and know that I'm God. Not be still and try to be God. Be still and live in the confidence that God is God. So we stand our ground, and then we pray for peace. When we face fear, and while standing firm, you share with God, this is what I'm dealing with. That when we pray, we pray these petitions, we pray honestly. Uh, Jeremy talked about just being honest to God. So hard for us to just stand and be honest with God. This is what I'm going through, God. This is what's creeping up in my life. These are the lies that the enemy is telling me. Just be honest. He wants your honest heart. And then petition him. Ask for him to intervene and move in your life. And then thanksgiving. Thank him for when he does move. I'm going to pray, God, that you move on my behalf. I'm going to pray, God, that you would give me, as Philippians says, a peace that surpasses all understanding. That even in the midst of this crazy life that we live in, we can have a peace that transcends what's written out on paper. So we pray for peace. And then number three, we object to the lies. This is part of the spiritual warfare that we were talking about a couple weeks ago. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So you have that lie that the enemy tells you, grab it, take it captive, and make it be obedient to the truth of God's word, to the promises that he has for you. This is why it's so important for us to understand his word, to read his word for ourselves, to to not just depend on other people to, to read the promises of God, but to be a people who are in his word, to know his promises, to write them down, to memorize them, to throw them up on the mirror, so that when the lies of the enemies come, the lies of the enemy comes, you can object to them because you know the truth of his word. And then number four, that we're to trust in God. And this is where it comes down to a choice. Right, that we have access to the King of Kings. We have access to, to the Lord of Lords, to the creator of this universe. That our God is actually for us, not against us. Even though there are times when we wonder, as Gideon did, God, if you're for me, then what in the world is going on? He is for us. He isn't against us. Every promise that we see in Scripture will prove true. But the world that we live in will try to fix all of the byproducts of our fear. It'll try to address your anger and your anxiety. It'll it'll try to address your insecurities. It will try to address your control issues. Listen, I'm finding out more and more how much of a control freak I am. I don't like it. I'm like, I'm not a control freak. And then people start pointing stuff out. I'm like, I'm kind of a control freak. 
And what the world will say is, oh, you got to deal, you got to stop being a control freak. You got to stop being so insecure. Let's deal with some self-help stuff. So, you know, let's prop you up. Oh, you got some anger issues. You need to go through anger management. When in reality, what we need to do is dig down deep into what is it that you're afraid of? Are you afraid of not being good enough? Are you afraid of, of hell? Are you afraid of death? Are you, well, what is it that you are afraid of? And let's address that. Let's address, let's allow the Lord to come in and heal those things. Psalm 56, 3 says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? See, no weapons formed against us will prosper. I'd be lying to you, and some of you are experiencing this right now in your life where there are weapons formed against you. But the truth of God's word, the promise of his word is they will not prosper. Whatever your circumstance, whatever, it may be painful, it may be confusing, we may not understand it. But if we believe God's word, they won't prosper. Gideon takes his fear-faced life and he begins this process then of trusting God. Of saying, okay, I've done all the math, everything doesn't look like it's, it's adding up, but I'm going to put my trust in you, God. I'm just going to trust you in this. And what happens is, if you read chapter 7 of Judges, you see this miraculous work that takes place in Gideon's life. He's put in charge of this army of 32,000 men. Gideon, you know, loser Gideon who came from some lame family, and he's the least of. That's what he thinks anyways. But he didn't allow his insecurity to get in the way of that. And so he starts, he's put in charge of 32,000 men. But God said, you know what? I think you could actually probably take him out with 32,000 men on your own doing. So I'm just going to drop that down to about 22,000 men. And then it's like, well, but 22,000 men could probably take this army out on your own without the help of me. So let's just knock that down a little bit, maybe down to like 300. 300 against thousands. It's impossible, God. I don't know. How how could that even happen? How could we defeat an army of thousands with 300 people? And the answer is, you can't. But he can. He can. And Gideon didn't allow his insecurity or his control to hijack his life. He got out of the pit of despair and stood trusting in God, trusting in his promises. He stood in faith. The enemy wants to keep us from going, uh, from being who God wants us to be and going where God wants us to go. And it's time for us as followers of Jesus to fight against that. To fight against that fear that would keep us from going where he wants us to go.
because our future is on the other side of our fear. God says, I will do amazing things in your life, far above, Scripture says, whatever you could hope, dream, or imagine. But you've got to get on the other side of fear and start trusting in him. Let's pray. Maybe you're here today and you're tired of dealing with fear. Maybe you came in afraid. Afraid that, I don't know. There's just, I know that fear is an issue because you asked for it. It was on the list. I don't know what your fear is. I know what lies the enemy tries to shoot at me begin to make me fearful. I can object to the lies that the enemy has towards me, but you've got to discover that for you. What, what, is, what are the lies that the enemy is shooting your way? What weapons is he forming against you? And it kind of feels like it's hurting a little bit, or maybe a lot. God wants to be in the midst of that. The promises of God, the truth of God, our faith, our trust in him are the only things that will protect us. God, for every person in this room who walked in afraid, I'm not talking about afraid of Spiders, afraid for their life, afraid for their soul, afraid for their marriage, afraid, afraid. God, that you would bring, as Philippians says, a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's such a, such a, a quip type of verse that we throw out. But the promise is true. God, that for every person here where on paper it doesn't seem like they should be okay, it would because, be because of your peace in their life. That your peace would be in the midst We'll never start or be able to stand in victory over fear until we start a relationship with God. And so if you're here this morning and you've never had a relationship with God before, I want to give you the chance to do that today. I want to pray with you. I want to agree with you in prayer. And if that's you, if you'd say, Ryan, I've never started a relationship with God, but I but I want to today, would you just be so bold and raise your hand and say, would you include me in that prayer today? Is there anybody that's saying that? Yeah, good, I see your hand. Yeah, I see your hand. Anybody else? 
for these two that, uh, that just raised your hand, I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer. And there's nothing magical about my prayer, but it is the language. And sometimes we need help with the language of, of things. And but as Jeremy said earlier, this has got to be from the mess of your heart. <laughs> it's got to be your words, not some greeting card word. But that prayer is something along these lines of, Father, today I surrender my life to you. I give you control of my life. I've been controlling it myself. I've been trying to figure this out on my own. And today I surrender to you and give you my life. I ask God that you would be the leader of my life, that you would lead and direct and guide me today. God, forgive me for going about this life on my own, trying to handle things on my own, living my life in such a way that is so selfish. God, forgive me for that. And today I do receive your forgiveness because your promise is true. In Jesus' name.